Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. We continue our message series in the book of Acts talking about empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we see that again today as the believers gather in Jerusalem waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, June 15th, Father's Day, 2014. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We are in the book of Acts for the second week. So we just started last week. And uh, what we're going to be doing in the book of Acts is covering two things. One book, you could say that's the Bible or the book of Acts, but really the Bible. We have one Jesus, and collectively we have one mission. We'll talk about that again as a church. This isn't all of our missions trying to shoot in all kinds of different directions. Instead, we say, Jesus, what is your mission? And help us accomplish that through prayer. Um, If you are in uh, grow groups, I'm going to just take a little bit Boy, that is really dark, but the parts that matter are, are lit up. So if you go to our website, this is just so you know, if you were in grow groups this week, you'll be able to go to the website, you click on sermons, and then right from that sermon link, you can say launch media player. It's also in your bulletin today. And um, once you get to the media player and you click on the sermon for today, they're all in order by date, you can uh, go over here and it'll say grow group. It'll say the questions. It's a PDF file. So The questions we don't hand out physically, but you go on the website, you can download it, and I really encourage you to go through those questions on your own. You have a much better discussion and a much better time in your grow groups. I'm holding myself to try and get the question, I'm going to even say try, I will get the questions up Sundays. That's a a giggle of doubt over there. um, I'm holding myself to it because in the past I've said like, okay, Monday, but Monday I'm utterly useless. Like if if you're going to get in a cage fat with... uh, fight with me, just do it on Mondays because I'm just totally useless. There's no super productivity going on here. I just sort of function on Mondays. And then Tuesday, I finally get to it and I'm getting the questions and then it was getting later on Tuesday. So I am still functional on Sundays. And so the questions will be out this afternoon. You can see them. So I'm excited about that. Sermon is always up on Sundays. That's the easy part. The hard part is getting the questions worked out. So those will be up on Sundays. Hold me to it. If you say things out loud, right, you have a better chance to do it. So I'm excited for you and your grow group. We'll talk about one of the great benefits that comes with it. We see that with the apostles. And um, speaking of waiting and impatience, that was intentional that I was in the back and I didn't come out right away. How many of you like to wait for things? I don't think that... Really? I'm like, like, your parents had to be totally disappointed at Christmas time. You're like, (laughs) it's time to open presents. Yeah. We'll get to it. You know, like most of us do not like to wait. You know, I, you don't like to sit in traffic, I'm guessing. You don't like to, when the airport lands, you know, you land in the, the airplane parks and then you just like sit there. How many of you are just like a caged rat? You're like, get me off this thing, you know, especially when you had like an arm battle with the person next to you and you're like, just get me off this plane. How many of you uh, think it's totally unacceptable to see someone use a check to pay for anything anymore? Have you, has that ever happened to you? You're in Costco, there's these good, ginormous lines, and you're up there, and they're... Mrs. Savita, she's not going to listen to the sermon. She, I had a paper out. It took her seven seconds to sign her name. Yeah, seven seconds. So I would be there on my paper out. I'm trying to get around, just to trying to get cash. I'd stop by Mrs. Savita's. Seven seconds. Just for the name part. So you can imagine how long it took to write $15 and no cents. So I don't, I really like that. I mean, have you ever been in that position where you're like, hurry, 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 and you're talking to the microwave? You know, like this is kind of like how you're wired, you want things to go, especially, at least for me, if I've got like a, some kind of goal in mind or something I'm trying to get done, or if you're on some trip and you're just trying to get somewhere, you're like, oh, I'm so sick of this. I just want to kind of be where I want to be at. So now imagine this. I'm going to, if you're new to Christianity, I'll give you the Bible in like a minute. 
Jesus makes us, God makes us, and then we sin against God. God makes a promise that he's going to send Jesus. How long is it before Jesus shows up? Thousands of years. So you can imagine the people with anticipation. Finally, Jesus gets there. He doesn't reveal himself as the Savior for like 30 years to people. And then finally, his public ministry starts. He lives perfectly without sin the entire time. He dies on the cross. He rises, and it says he appeared. We just read that in Acts. For 40 days to people saying, here, it's real. I'm, I'm risen. And now I'm going to send you on the greatest mission of all time. I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, the entire ends of the earth, and I want you to tell everybody that I have risen from the dead. Now wait. Can you imagine, like, your, your football coach or something at halftime? Have you seen these movies where they give this rousing halftime speech, and then they're all pumped, and he's like, okay, hold on. Does this seem worse than Braveheart? I mean, Jesus is going, okay, I'm going to send you on the greatest mission of all time. Hold, hold. So then he sends them into Jerusalem. He says, I want you to hang out there for 10 days. He doesn't even say 10 days. They don't even know. So they leave the hill. Jesus ascends into heaven. They're on the Mount of Olives, which isn't very far from where they're going to go in Jerusalem. They take this short little walk, and they sit, and they get in this room. What would you do while you waited for Jesus to send the Holy Spirit? You can't say, like, well, okay, if I'm in the post office, I'd check my phone. What would you do? You're just, like, waiting for the Holy Spirit. This is somewhat convicting for me because I thought, what would I be doing during this entire period? So we get this in the book of Acts. This is Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 12. It says, The apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the upper room. We don't know if it's the same upper room or not. Um, a lot of the houses had... Um, Upper rooms where like guests would come, not real posh, not super nice, but you could have meetings there because uh, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, it happened in a upper room. So this is just like available space above your house. So they go to this upper room where they're staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot. That gives you some of his political leanings. How, how many of you have friends that could be called like I've got to think of a name that no one has in here. <laughs> Raul the Zealot. I mean, that would be very tricky that you're kind of revealing yourselves a little bit. I mean, that would be like someone just going like, hi, I'm Bob the Democrat or I'm Bill the Republican. It would be really odd if everyone knew you like that. And then Judas, son of James. So are you confused right now on the last one? How would you like to be this Judas when the one Judas betrays the Son of God and everybody in Jerusalem knows that? We're going to hear that. And then you're the other guy. So, like, hey, what do you do? Oh, I'm one of the disciples. Which one? Judas. Mm. No, 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 not that one. Not that, not that one. That's not the one I am. That's probably how, like, Oswald bin Laden feels when he tries to meet people. He's like, um, so they're all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So what did, what did they do? So I, you had in your mind what you would do while you waited for the Holy Spirit to come. What did they do? How many of you remember the old King James? I don't. I had to look it up. But the old King James, it says they were in one accord, which is a joke. They say, like, what kind of car do the disciples drive? One accord. Which is just ridiculous because there's, you know, there's 12 disciples and an accord fits two normal-sized human beings. So, so, but in the King James, it does mean that. You could translate that. So they're all joined together. What they're saying is unity. They join together constantly in prayer. And the part I want to step out for you, which is really cool, is who is there? I will highlight it for you just in case. 
Jesus' mother, this is the last time she is mentioned. So when you picture this, like the, the ascension into heaven, we never hear about Jesus, she, uh, his mother. He's at the cross. The next time we hear about it, she's in Jerusalem hanging out with, we probably have like 90 people here. So just a few more people because it says 120. We're all hanging out. We're all praying. And among them is Jesus' mother. Is it a surprise that Jesus' mother believes she's the son, that he's the son of God? How many mothers, like dads, look at their sons once in a while and they're like, he's hopeless. How many mothers say that about their kids? Yeah, you know, their son is like 86 and like, yeah, he's not president yet, but, you know, there's still hope, You're right? That's how mothers are. So it's not a surprise that Jesus, uh, that Jesus' mother thought he was the son of God. However, when you talk about evidence, and if you're saying like, sometimes I struggle, there's not enough evidence for Christianity. How many people, Christians, do we have? I'm going to just shoot ahead to the... I can't shoot the next slide, but there's 120, so a little bit more than our congregation. How many people did Jesus appear to to show that he was resurrected from the dead? Do you know that from Corinthians 15? Over, possibly over 1,000. It says at one time 500. At one time 500. So he appeared to the apostles. He appeared to the road, men on the road to Emmaus. He appears to all these people. How many people, after Jesus physically shows up and says, listen, I was dead, I'm alive, how many people come and say, I want to be a, a believer and follow you? 120. So if you are at work and you're thinking, man, I, it's frustrating because there's not more Christians and it's frustrating because I feel outnumbered, how do you think they felt when the Son of God had actually appeared to them and said, I am risen, and they decide? So is the issue, do you think, with most of your friends, or your family that don't follow Jesus, they don't think it's conceivable he rose from the dead? Do you think that's the issue? Or do you think the issue is they just don't want to follow what Jesus says? If it's the evidence issue, I've got a question for you. Um, how many of you have brothers? What would it take you, sorry, what would it take you to convince you that your brother is the perfect son of God? I mean, is, I think this is the best evidence we've got. I mean, I've got brothers, and if someone came to me and said, listen, you got two options. Your brother is from the devil, or he's the perfect son of God. Which one are you going to lean towards, right? You're like, okay, I got, uh, you know, there's not a lot of questions. This would be a difficult question. Jesus' own brothers are in this meeting because they believe he's the true, perfect son of God who rose from the dead. Now, how awesome is that? Were they always like that? The reason I put that reading up from John is, and I tried to do it in kind of this sarcastic tone, is because they're saying to Jesus, yeah, you should go to the festival. You should show your disciples your works. And they thought this is hilarious because they didn't believe it at all. They thought this is ridiculous. But who's there now? Among the 120, Jesus' own family says, my brother, which would be the hardest, that's the hardest convert on the planet right there. My brother is the perfect son of God. So they get together and they, they're praying. And one of the awesome things of a prayer, what does it do? I'm going to make a dis- def- distinction here. When we read God's word, that changes us, right? The Holy Spirit works through that. When you uh, receive the Lord's Supper, it says that forgives sins. That's actually happening. When we, we had baptisms these last few weeks, that means something's actually happening. Does God work through prayer in you? This is kind of a trick question. Technically, no. This is not a means that the Holy Spirit says he's going to go and change. But it often happens, though, that through prayer you change. So let me give you an example. Have you ever gotten an argument with someone that you regularly pray for and with? Say your spouse and you regularly have a devotion in the morning and you pray for and with each other, and then right after that you just light into each other. How often does that happen? 
sometimes when you have disunity in relationships, it's more of a prayer issue than it is just this unity issue. So now take this to a bigger scale. What benefit is there for us as a group of believers when we get together and we pray with each other and we pray for each other? I think there's something that says, I'm opening myself up to you. I'm being vulnerable to you, and I want you to know what's going on in my life. Why do we have grow groups? One is to spend time in God's Word. I think that's vital. That's where God is working and changing us. This is a huge thing. This is huge. But one of the reasons that we get together in a group of people is because I can't know everyone. I, this is true confessions, and I thought, you know, should I even share this? I had a meeting with somebody on uh, Friday, one of the grow group leaders. I was really excited. We're eating. It's good. Uh, we're eating Greek food, which is very difficult because I know Greek, and I still don't know what all the items are, and I just pretend to look at the menu until I find where the euro is, and then I order that. So that's what I did. So we're having this meeting, and we're talking about things going on in his life, and I felt terrible. We, we've got this many people, and I couldn't remember all the stuff going on in his life. I couldn't remember the specific things for school. I couldn't remember exactly where he lived, and I thought, and he's still here today, so thank you. I won't say, look, make any eye contact that you're a hero to be like, my pastor's clueless. You know, it wasn't quite that bad, but I cannot know everything that's going on in your life. I just can't. And as much as I'd like to, and as much as I love you, and I say, and I have a long prayer list, which I enjoy going through, and I pray through each of you systematically, and what's going on, the things I know, I can't know everything. Do you think there's some benefit when you get together with 12, 14, 16 people for a period of a summer, and you say, here's what's going on? One of the cooler things, it's, at first it was really hard for my ego, because everyone used to just go to me as the super prayer person. You know, like they figured I had a special phone, and that's ridiculous, I text God. No, they, no, they, uh, no there's this secret thing, you know, like I got something going on, I got to tell pastor, because now, like the beam goes up to heaven and things like that. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in your life that I don't even know until it's done. People, I don't even find out about this stuff until someone has already been through surgery. And at first it was really hard for me because, you know, other churches, I was the person, everyone filled up their stuff and they had to go talk to pastor. Now stuff is happening in your life and who's praying for you? I do in general. But you got people who actually know what's going on in your life who say, I care about what's going on in your life and I'm going to pray for you and let's join together. And never forget this. This is a kind of a separate lean. What you're involved in is a miracle. Do you ever feel like I've never been involved in a miracle? I've never even seen a miracle? How big of a miracle is prayer? Just think about this. God is in like the intangible spiritual world and there's like this veil or this curtain between it and we live in this physical world where we can see stuff and we can touch stuff and God's over there, we're here. How is it possible that you can actually, you say stuff here and somehow God hears it there? That, that's a miracle. What happened? And how was that possible? Just think about this. When Jesus died on the cross, and right when it happened, what happened in the temple? This is the best picture I could, I could find. And I'm going to use some awesome King James words. The curtain in the temple was torn asunder. Right? Isn't that, why did that happen? Because here's the holy place. This is where guys can hang out, and this is where they can be. You are not allowed in the holy, holy of holies except once a year. What happens when Jesus dies? God says that now has been torn apart. And I am giving you the privilege because my son lived perfectly, he died perfectly, and everything is just right so that you can have a relationship with me. You don't have to go between with people. You can come right to me with your prayers. And if you don't think it's a miracle that God somehow came from the spiritual world, crossed over that veil, and walked in our world, 
and now has gone back and says, I am going to prepare a place for you. I am there as your mediator, and I want to listen to you. Every week, every day, you get to be part of a miracle that says, I talk to God. Never forget that, because that's awesome. So, how am I going to make this all apply to you? Hopefully, prayer makes sense. Hopefully, uh, the other things make sense. Uh, Peter stands up. It says, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers. This is going to be a little bit long reading, so stick with me. I've stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and says, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David. That's inspiration. We're not talking about that today. But the Holy Spirit works through his writers concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of the number and shared in their ministry, TMI, For he said, <laughs> I mean, how, how, why did that have to be in there? Do you ever wonder that as a kid? Like, uh, Peter, uh, Judas betrays Jesus, and then as a kid, that was like the grossest scene in all of the Bible, it says, and then he hanged himself and his intestines spilled all over. Is that like a warning, or is it just to, to say, hey, we're being up and up here? So, for what he owed, um, he buys this, la- this field, and they called it Akeldama. If that doesn't sound like Lord of the Rings, I don't know what does the field of blood, and then Peter says, for, said Peter, it's written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominate two men. Joseph called bar Sabus. You know what bar means in the Old Testament? We get to like bar Jesus. He's in the um, Barabbas. That's another one. Bar means son. So like when we say Johnson, if you have the last name Johnson, you're the son of John. Um, same thing here. So he's the son of, uh, but this one's confusing because Sabbath means Sabbath. So he's probably born on a Saturday. So he's the son of Sabbath, also known as Justus or Justus, you could say, in Matthias. So then they pray. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. So, we can go two angles from this. The first one is we are about to elect new leadership council members next week. And I could talk about all the various ways and the important aspects of that and how we want them to be involved in a girl group and serving and honoring their Lord. I'm just not going to do that because it's only like two people in this whole room. Instead, my question is this. Who is talking in Acts chapter 1? Peter. Who is he talking about? He's got spilled all over. Judas, right? So Peter is talking about Judas. What is the difference between Judas and Peter? They both had Jesus as a pastor. That would be pretty awesome, right? I mean, that's pretty good. While he's talking, you're not like, should I believe this stuff? Or did he talk too far? You can't because it's God. So everything is perfect, right? Who is in his grow group? They got the 12 apostles. I mean, that's a pretty solid group. I mean, if you're talking about it, I mean, that's pretty solid, building each other up. They're all together. They ate with Jesus. They walked with Jesus for three years. So, so far, they're the same, right? But then Judas gets this idea that um, he's going to betray Jesus. He's all about the money. And you're like, oh, that's terrible because Peter, wait a second here. What did Peter do? Peter is the one who says, Lord, I will stand next to you even if I have to die. 
Unless, of course, some little girl asks me if I'm with you, then I will deny it. Right? So this teenage girl asks him, this servant girl, like, hey, aren't you one of these? He's like, no, 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 no. And then another person asks me, like, hey, your accent gives it away. You sound like a hick from Galilee. That's not exactly what it says in Scripture, but that's what they implied. And what does he say? He's like, no, no, no. I'm not going to make any hick-type voices. That's why I made it British, so that no one could feel offended, right? So it's not the voice. And then finally someone says, you are with him. And what does he do? He says, God damn me right now if this is true. And then he looks, and there's Jesus walking making eye contact with him. So what is the difference between Peter and Judas? Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. It's the same. The difference is this. When Peter, when Judas heard his sin, what does he do? He brings it to the grave. And what does Peter do? When Peter is in the, he's hanging out with the disciples and Jesus is resurrected from the dead and it says Jesus is alive, what does Peter do? The old man, he's an older than John. John John's very modest, he says. And then the other one beat him to the tomb. He's, and it's John's book. I mean, he kind of gives it away. So John sprints to the tomb and Peter's like, eh, hold on, hold on, too far. He gets there, but he runs, right? Because he wants to see this is true. And he looks in the temple and it's open. And then you hit the most touching thing, I think, in all of Scripture, this conversation between, do you know this, this section? Jesus is appearing to all these people. And these guys are fishing again on the, the Sea of Galilee. And there's Peter. He's out in the boat. He's 100 yards away from shore. Now, 100 is kind of far. I, I don't mean he's literally like 100. Oh, you guys saw someone move him. Like, everyone looked over there. I'm like, uh, yeah. The, uh, so he's 100 yards from shore, which would be like in the parking lot right now. And from, the sh- from his boat, it says in Scripture, he sees that Jesus is on the shore. You know what he does? Because Peter's not compulsive. He jumps out of his boat. I mean, how many of you would do that? He's so excited to see the Lord. And he gets there. He's probably had a breath, and, he, and he's talking to Jesus, and, then G, and he says, you know, uh, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. He's like, Jesus, um, I, I, I didn't mean to. Um, you've never failed me, but I've failed you. You've never done anything bad to me, but I have I've done all the bad things to you. And you know what Jesus says to him? He says, Peter, I forgive you. Judas takes his sin to the grave. Peter takes his sin to Jesus. And then I think one of the coolest things ever, all the disciples are around, they're making food, and Jesus says, Peter, this is what I want you to do. I want you to feed my sheep. This is what I want you to do. People need to hear about me, and I want you to do that. When it comes time to an issue in the church, who has to stand up? Peter. I'm just thinking about how he would feel. This is not long after utterly denying Jesus, and he stands up in front of a group a little bit bigger than this and says, I need to feed the sheep. This is what we need to do. How does this apply to you? Peter and Judas are remarkably similar but very different. And my question to you, how are you going to respond to the grace of God? Both of them had sin. Both of them struggled with sin. And I know this is kind of a heavy thing when you talk about Judas damning himself to hell. It is. But if you're alive, there's still a chance. And if you're talking about a sin you struggled with, a sin you're afraid to tell anyone, something you've just buried down deep, where do you bring your sin? Do you want to bring that sin to the grave or do you want to bring it to Jesus? Everyone have a chance to say, Lord, I am so sorry for the things I've done. Use me like you used an imperfect person like Peter. You get another chance to respond. In a little bit, we're going to receive Jesus' body and blood, which is pretty awesome, which is like a face-to-face meeting with Jesus to say, here's what I've done, Lord. And God says, I want you to know this. Here's my true body. Here's my true blood for the forgiveness of sins. We're going to do that a little bit later after we receive our offering. Why do we have offerings? Does God need your money? 
He's got begging for your money. It's like half the Bible is like, give me your money. You're like, wait a second here. It's like a timeshare thing or something like that. No, what does God say? He says, this is what I've done for you, but this is how you get to participate in this mission. Instead of being Judas all about the money, you can say, God, I want to open my wallet and I want to show and be part of your mission because I think that's important. And I think forgiveness that I know is important that the world knows and you get to participate in that. Amen.